we are going to look at the book of Romans, book of Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And then we will also look at Galatians 4. But let's just look at Romans 8 to start with. And um, there is so much stuff here. For the sake of, of bringing things into context, let's look at, let's just start with the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation. Everyone say no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law, everyone say law. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In verse number 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And then verse 25, but if, we, but if we hope for that we seek not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Let's just stop there. We'll read uh, Galatians 4 uh, during the message. I am simply going to talk to you today about healing healing the earth. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? And let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask you now that your living word will preach the written word, that you would again open our understanding, that you would expand our corporate consciousness of who you are and what you are doing through your church in the earth. I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice, but I pray, God, today that you would cause the anointing to come upon them and you would cause the anointing to be upon me today that we may see your will done in the earth as it is in heaven. I bind every resisting spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Turn around to two or three people and say, God bless you in the name of the Lord. So glad my friend Tom Marshall's here with us today. God bless you, brother Tom. Amen. Romans chapter 8 gives us so much to work with that I, am, I suppose we could spend weeks and weeks just studying each verse and breaking it down. The simplicity of what I'm bringing to you today is that since man has stepped out of alignment with God, there is a problem in the earth. God created man in His image and in His likeness. And if you study uh, the creation and you understand through the Scriptures what creation is actually saying to us, the Bible says in Isaiah, He made not the earth in vain. The word vain there means void. God did not create the void that is mentioned in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And verse number 2 says, And the earth was without form and void. Something changed between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Many theologians believe that this is when the fall of Satan happened and that when Satan fell into the earth, it created a void or it created chaos. Satan always creates chaos and void wherever he is. But the amazing part of Genesis 1 account of creation is that then the Spirit of God began to hover over that darkness. It began to hover over that void. It began to hover over that chaos. And if you, if you break it down, it was God brooding or God thinking or God was saying, what shall I do with all of this chaos? And the Bible says, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And this was the answer. The Word of God began to bring order out of chaos. It began to separate the light and the darkness so that we could clearly understand the different properties that were at play so we would not be confused anymore. God is not the author of confusion, but He is a God of peace. Peace means that things are as they should be. Now what I am uh, completely in encouraged by is the fact that once the Word of God began to set things in order, there was no more chaos in the earth. And I am thankful today that regardless of what kind of chaos might exist in our lives, the Spirit of God can hover over that chaos. The Spirit of God works and moves. The Bible says He was moving in the darkness. He was there, but they didn't know He was there until the Word of God brought light. When the Word of God comes, it helps us to see what God is already planning to do. And once that Word begins to take place in our lives, it creates order out of all the chaos and brings meaning out of all the things that are void. Would you lift your hands and would you thank the Lord for the Word of God and for the work of His Spirit in your life? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So God creates man then. But when He creates him, the Bible says in Genesis 1, He first speaks the plan before He does the plan. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then He says, so God created man in His own image and in His own likeness. So He spoke it. Everyone say, He spoke it. He made everything according to the blueprint of His Word. The Word there, as, the, as, Gen as John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Scripture later tells us that He made all things by Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ had not yet come in the flesh, but He already existed. He was already there as the Word image or the agency by which the Father created all things. He did it all through His Word. And so that man that He created, the Bible says in the book of Romans uh, chapter 5, that, that Adam was created in the figure or in the likeness of Him that was to come. So he looked at a blueprint when he, was when he was shaping that man and forming him out of the dust of the ground and, 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 the, and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. There was already something in his mind. So the, the original pattern of man was cut out of the shape of Jesus Christ. You and I were foreordained from the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so once that, once that was put in motion, then he forms the man from the earth and from the dust. And in that is frailty. In that is the potential for weakness. In that is the potential for temptation. But he gives him free will and says in order for him to come into this plan, he has to choose it. So I cannot, I cannot make this man and him live up to that destiny if he does not choose to do this. I will not force my creation to worship me. I will not force this man to serve me. I will make him do what he, what he wants to do, and I will let him see the difference between who I am and everything else. 
And so he puts a tree in the garden because man has to have something to say no to so that God knows that he has genuinely said yes. If there wasn't anything else for him to choose, it would be impossible for him to know that he really loved him and really wanted to serve him. And so we understand what happens next, that Satan comes in and starts to mess with God's creation. He starts to mess with this man made in the image of God because he, bring, he brings chaos wherever he goes. And so as he deceives the man and the woman, we don't have time to talk a lot of details about that, but suffice it to say he tempted him to do what he had done, to try to be a god to try to raise himself up to be a God alongside of God. But as Satan found out, there was only room for one God, and he was cast down like lightning from heaven. That's why the Bible says in James, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The reason why the devil trembles at the thought of one God is because it reminds him that he's not that one God. It reminds him of his attempt to be a God alongside of the God. And so he was cast down like lightning from heaven because there was only room for one God. And so he creates this same scenario for the man and for the woman so that when the man raises him, himself up, he assumes that God will judge the man the way he judged Lucifer. But he assumed wrong. He found out that the same wrath that was in God also had another side called mercy. And while wrath came upon Satan, mercy was extended to human beings. Aren't you thankful that you and I have a second chance here today? That God loves us so much that He is willing to give us His mercy. That He did not cast us away forever. That even when we were deceived and even when we failed, God said, I love you this much. I'm going to give you a word that someday I'm going to become a man and I'm going to whip that Satan. I'm going to whip that Lucifer. I'm going to destroy that devil that has done this. I'm going to put him under my feet once and for all. Would you clap your hands and would you thank the Lord for that? So began, so began a new era in which there is something broken in heaven and something that was out of place in the earth. Thorns and thistles grew up out of the ground and the Bible says that the earth that was so abundant in its fruitfulness now would have to be farmed and it would have to be by the sweat of the man's brow. It was going to be hard work in order for the earth to produce. As time goes on and, and uh, the Jewish people become God's people, and uh, the descendants of Abraham are in covenant, and they begin to go away from God, God actually has to put away Israel. According to Jeremiah, you see that he writes a, a bill of divorcement and literally has to divorce himself from his people because they have gone so far away. And so the division that's in heaven is now, is now uh, mirrored by a division that's going on in the earth. And so something, something is getting worse rather than getting better. And when we come to the book of, of, of Romans uh, and we see Romans 8, there's, there's something profound that is, that is, that is mentioned here that, that there's something that is still in the mind of God that He is after. When you read in, in 8.29, it says, For whom He foreknew, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, moreover whom He did predestinate them, He also called. And whom He called, He also justified. And whom He justified, He also glorified. And so there is a process in the mind of God that He did not give up on what He had begun. He did not stop that process of fixing what was broken. He said, I am going to bring this to fruition and I'm going to do it myself. His own arm brought salvation. In, in Isaiah, He said He looked for a man and He wondered that there was no intercessor. An omniscient being who knows the past, the present, and the future and dwells in eternity still has the capability to wonder. That is amazing to me. 
that God himself, who knows all things, could sit and ponder and wonder why things are the way they are. Isn't there a man somewhere that would pray? Isn't there somebody somewhere that would intercede? Surely they would know me enough that if they would just call upon my name, I would set things right. But man gropes, he says, in the darkness as a blind man searching for the wall. He said, this is how man is. He said, they've gone away. They've gone astray. And so the Bible says, after he had finished wondering why nobody would stand in the gap, he said, I guess I will just do it myself. So God was manifest in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. That is the wonder of Jesus Christ. That is the wonder of, 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 of His church and of His body. Now, in, in the book of, of, of Ephesians, let's look at this now today. Ephesians chapter number 1. There's an interesting uh, definition for the dispensation that we're in. Oftentimes, we call it the dispensation of grace. But in, Rome, in, in Ephesians 1 and 10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. So what Jesus came to bring was the fullness of the times, was to create a new era of time which would fix what was broken in heaven and fix what was broken in the earth. And that all things would come together in Christ and it would all be manifest through His people in the church. Would you clap your hands again and would you thank the Lord that we are living in... These full, exciting times. Many times when we talk about the last days, we totally misinterpret what the last days is talking about. We think last days means that there's not many days left. According to the Jewish mind, last days means days of fulfillment. That's why Peter said, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. He changed the, the, the verbiage of Joel 2.28 when he quoted it. In Joel it says it shall come to pass afterwards. It shall come to pass afterwards. In the time of fulfillment, afterwards, then I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And what Peter got up and said is, it's that time. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. What he's saying is, these are those days. These are the days of fulfillment. He was taking a verse that was that was prophesied to people that were not going to be able to experience it. And then he requotes that same verse and says, now let me put it into context. He had to say afterwards because it wasn't for them. But since this is for us, I'm going to say it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. These are those days. Touch somebody and say, these are those days. These are days of fulfillment where God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. And every place where there has been chaos and void and confusion and emptiness and frustration, the Spirit of God is being poured out in the earth. And it's up to us to discern the mind of God and understand the will of God through His Word and reinstitute righteousness and bring things back into order as God's representatives and as God's people. Amen. Hallelujah. The only way the earth is healed is if man gets back into his right relationship with God. What brings us away from God? What sends us away from God? When man sinned, what did, what did he feel? He felt distance. He hid. When... when when we're, when we're children, we do something wrong. What do we do? We go and hide. I knew when my dad was coming home, it was going to be trouble. My mom was not the disciplinarian. She left it up to my dad. When your father gets home. And so when the door would open, you know, I'm running. I'm hiding somewhere. I'm hoping that they don't have the conversation. Do you know what your boy did? It's not our boy. Do you know what your boy did today? You know? I think you're going to have to go upstairs and deal with him. You know, 
And then you hear the 12, size 12 Oxfords coming up. And the earth is shaking. And your heart is trembling and you're hyperventilating. Son, I need you to come in here. No! I remember one time my dad, my dad was going to discipline me for something and we, we were up in the room and it was serious, you know. He said, what do you think we ought to do? I said, I think we ought to pray. I fell on my knees and I started going, oh God, please, Lord, give me mercy, God, mercy. And my dad saw those big tears and he started laughing and he couldn't hold himself back and turned around and walked away. He said, I think you, you, you've done right. I think, you've, I think you're okay. I think, I think you understand your need for change, son. I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> Repentance has saved me from the wrath of God and the wrath of dad at the same time. When we feel condemnation, we feel distance. Conviction is different from condemnation. Conviction draws us to God. It's God saying, if you'll let me, I'll help you with this issue. You can't do this all by yourself. You're trying to get out of this by yourself. But I'm here, and I'm, I'm extending an outstretched hand with a nail print in it that says, I can do something about this situation. Give it to me. Condemnation makes you feel bad about you. It beats you up. It diminishes you. It limits you. And so you feel separation. And the Bible says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. That means if you are experiencing condemnation in your life, unequivocally, the Scripture tells us it did not come from God. Period. I want you to understand that Satan masquerades as our conscience to try to put condemnation on us. But that does not come from God. John 3.17. Anybody know how to quote that one? We know John 3.16. But what's John 3.17? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Period. Jesus said, I am not sent to condemn you. He told the religious leaders of His day, He said, if you want condemnation, that's what you have Moses for. Moses literally had a ministry of condemnation. According to 2 Corinthians 3, he had the ministry of condemnation. Can you imagine that? My job is to condemn anything that's not of God. Some people still think they have that ministry. Now that we are in the dispensation of the fullness of times, it's not about separation. It's about restoration. It's about bringing people together. It's about extending mercy. It's about fixing what's wrong. It's about healing the earth. It's not about creating more chaos or creating more trouble or creating more distance. It was necessary for Moses to show us where we are wrong. But Jesus helps us get right. That's what Jesus came to do. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So there is no condemnation. Everyone say no condemnation. And then he says there's a higher law that we're living by now. It's called the law of the spirit of life. Everyone say the law of the spirit of life. This is a law that we can live by now. This is a law that works for us. And it's makes, uh, made us free from the law of sin and death. Wow. There's weeks of research and study just from that verse right there. There's things that you can, you can study for for months and months, just right there. For what the law could not do, notice now, this was the problem with Moses' law. It was weak through the flesh. Our flesh could not keep it, period. We did not have the strength in our own humanity to keep the law even when we knew it was right. Even when we knew we were wrong, we did not have the strength in our own flesh to make it right. But the Bible says, for what the law could not do and that it was weak to the flesh, God sending His own Son, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He singled out or separated from the human existence what sin was. He separated that and said, I'm condemning this so that the rest of this man can live. I'm condemning or destroying the sin 
so the man can live. It's the difference between having a tumor that somebody can get rid of or you having to live with that tumor. You live with that cancerous tumor long enough, it'll consume your whole body and it will kill you. But if someone can go in and say, I don't want to kill the man, but I want to kill what's attached to that man, and I can remove that tumor, then what happens? The tumor dies, but the man lives. And that's what Jesus does. He comes in and finds out all the things that can kill us, all the things that make us self-destruct, all the things that attach themselves to us and suck the light out of us. And He comes and says, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm going to make all these things die they're going to fall off of you they're not going to affect you anymore and when you're done you're going to be healthy and you're going to be whole because the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy but i'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly clap your hands and thank the lord for his life Hallelujah. now all of this is done through, through something called sonship. Sonship. This is what God is after. He's wanting us to bring us into a position of sonship. And so the Bible tells us that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now there is a difference between the, being the children of God and being the sons of God. He makes a distinction in the text between sons and children. There's something called where you can be a definition where you would just be the offspring of God, where we're born again. But then there is a level of maturity called sonship. Sonship maturity means that you are not having to be trained as you were before, but you've come to a a new level of understanding and responsibility. The Bible says in Galatians 4, he said, But I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So He shows us that in the beginning stage, there is a, there is a need for tutors and governors even though the young man is the heir of everything that his father has he still has to have people that train him and teach him and mentor him until he comes to a place of maturity and he talks about this here in romans 8 as many as are led by the spirit they are the sons of god what does that mean that god doesn't have to tell you every detail he doesn't have to say go do this or go pray for that person it's it, he doesn't have to speak to you as often and he certainly doesn't have to talk to you about the same things anymore when you become a son the less he tells you and the more you know it used to be when i was still learning about how faith operated i'd be sitting in the service and god would say go up in the second row and see that lady uh, in the red go pray for her I said, but God, I, I can't go up there right now. There's people worshiping, and, and what if I'm wrong? He said, go up to the second row and pray for her back. Yes, Lord. Okay, uh, there's something wrong. I want you to go now. Okay, 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 I'm going. And I would go, and I'm walking down, and I'm, and I'm under my breath. I'm, Jesus, 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 help me, God. I pray. I hope I'm not wrong. This is going to be really bad. I, if, uh, what, am I, what am I doing? I, I'm really hearing from God. And I, I'd go down there, excuse me, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Are you having trouble in your back? She looks at me, tears start bursting down her face. And she goes, I was about to leave the service. My back is hurting so bad. And I said, well, and then now all of a sudden I'm grinning ear to ear. God just sent me down here, told me you had a problem in your back. Can I pray for you? Oh, please. I touch her back. Boom. She's immediately healed. Woo! Okay. That was not exact impression, but anyway, it was pretty close. <laughs> I go back to my pew. Now I'm thankful. Now I'm, I'm my heart stopped pounding. I'm, okay, God, that was, can we do it again now? What, what can I pray for now? But he has to tell you 
everything because you don't know enough. You're not trained enough. You've not been obedient enough times. You haven't been around Him. Now I just go. He doesn't have to tell me specific details. I know. I just know. Well, I'm supposed to stop right here. I'm supposed to do this. There was a lot of things last night in the service that I did that I wasn't planning on doing. But right in the flow of the, of the service, it's immediately I just knew I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to speak this. I'm supposed to say that. And because you get to a point where, where you have been obedient long enough, that your flesh has been submitted long enough, that, that your spirit is in control in, in to such a degree that God doesn't have to keep telling you, you just go and do it. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And the goal of this chapter in chapter 8 is he's saying we've all got to get into that place where we manifest our sonship. And then he makes a case for this. Then he says that the earth is waiting on the sons. They're not waiting on the environmentalist movement. They're waiting on the sons. No matter how many laws that we pass about uh, climate change, it's not going to fix or heal what's going on in the earth. What Romans 8 tells us, it says that I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? In us. What is suffering for? It is to reveal the glory of God in us. It is to bring us to that place of maturity. It is to take us beyond just being the offspring of God that are walking around thanking God for their salvation to being people that are actively making a difference in the world. That the glory of God is on display in the life of the believer. Now watch, verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth, What's he waiting for? Not for sons, but he's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. He's waiting for what's in us to be manifested out of us. For what God gave you to be seen and to be used and to help others. Do you know how much power is in this place right now? In this building right now, do you know how much power is here? Can we even comprehend how much power is in this room right now? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to what? According to the power that worketh in us. It's already working in you. Say it's working in me. The power that he says that's working in us is so great that we cannot ask or think a thought that is big enough. We cannot speak a prayer that is too big to encompass the, the, the massiveness, the, the abundance of what is already at work in our lives. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. It's already inside of you right now waiting to manifest. Now, watch this, verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of creation into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The word creature here is uh, King James language. It means creation. For the creation was made subject to vanity... Because of man losing his place, what happens is, the Bible says the earth then was made subject to vanity. What is vanity? Meaninglessness. No purpose. That its, its original purpose was cast aside because man no longer had his original purpose anymore. Because man had become vain. The Bible says the earth had become vain. And if he didn't tie the earth to the man, then there would be no way that the earth could be restored where there could be a new heaven and a new earth. He said, but he tied the redemption process of man and the earth together. So for for the earth to be fixed, for what's wrong in the earth to be fixed. It means that man has to step into his right relationship with God and manifest true sonship. Now watch this. 
For we know that the whole creation, verse 22, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What we see in the earth then is a symbol of what sin has done to the planet. It's the earth groaning and travailing. It's saying this is not right. There's something that's it's not supposed to be this way. I'm waiting to be fixed. I'm waiting to be healed. And he says, not, they, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And there's something in us that's groaning. There's something in us that says, I'm still not right. It's still not totally fixed. I'm still not quite where I want to be yet. I'm still not in that dimension yet. Your pastor talked about it today. He said, there's still more. There's something else that we're trying to get in alignment. In alignment. There's still more in the pattern that we want to see revealed. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about today? That you have this groaning in yourself. That there's this vexing of yourself that says, God, there's got to be more. I have got to step into the next place. He said, we are waiting for the redemption of our body. We are waiting for something think the change where this flesh can finally and completely be subdued so that we can operate and function as the sons of God. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now just for a minute? And would you say, God, I want every part of me to be to be yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. patterns of sin, the motions of sin that are mentioned in, seventh, in the seventh chapter. This is all tied up in our human DNA. Everyone says, well, when you go to the doctor, where, did your father have any history of this? Do you have any history of disease from your, in, your, in your family bloodline? Everything that, you, that you're dealing with is, is encapsulated in your DNA. There are weaknesses uh, in certain areas of your life. Uh, there's been numerous studies that have been done by non-Christian people, by just medical people, that if uh, there's been a lot of smokers in, in, in your generation, the, the propensity for smoking will be very strong in, in someone who's never seen a cigarette or never touched a cigarette. There's uh, been studies that have been done about twins that were separated at birth, and they uh, ended up acting in the exact same way as, as an identical twin, not knowing that they even had a twin, but there was something in the genetic code that made them function or operate in a certain way. And there's lots of things in the world's mentality, the elements of the world, the corruption that is in the world, and what it speaks, what the world says, is that you can't help yourself because you were born this way. This is, the, uh, this is the argument of the homosexual lesbian movement is that they say they were born this way. They can't really help themselves. And so once we get down to the genetic level, people begin to say, well, you know, you do what you do because it's just in your genetic code to do that. That's why you're an abuser or that's why you're angry or that's why you're depressed or that's why you're sick or that's why you're this or that's why you're that. And you see, this is all that same groaning that I'm talking about is that there's things in our flesh, there's things in our bodies that we say, God, I want this to be redeemed. There's a yearning and the Bible says it's reflected in the earth, that there's a, there's a physical existence, there's a physical manifestation of what sin is but what he's telling us is this is that he subjected it all in hope he put a hope there verse 24 for we are saved by hope but the hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth why does he yet hope for it but if we hope for that we see not then do we with patience wait for it and likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, we have this groaning, we have this desire, but the Spirit has now been put in the earth. The Spirit has now been put in the lives of human beings. And what he's saying is, I'm going to cast off this mentality that says it's impossible to change, or it's impossible for you to be different than what you are. But the Spirit helps our infirmities, or it helps our weaknesses. We don't even know how to 
to pray for what we need. We don't even know how to speak the things that will bring change into our lives. But the Bible says we know not what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That when you begin to speak in tongues, when the Spirit of God begins to flow out of you, that's why it's a part of the new birth experience, born of the water and born of the Spirit. That when the Spirit of God comes into your life, He starts coming in and saying, you don't need that anymore. You don't need this anymore. I'm going to change this anymore. And you used to be like your dad in this area. And you used to have this weakness like your family here. But now you're in a new bloodline. You're in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. You've got a new name. You've got a new identity. And I'm putting my power in you. I am. I have destined you not to be like the first man, Adam. But I've destined you to be like the second man, Adam. You were made up like unto the pattern of the sinful man. But now I am setting you free to be like the man in whom is no sin. That you can be sons of God. That you can walk in the earth and say, I used to be subject to that, but I'm not anymore. I used to be a drug addict, but I'm not anymore. I used to have that habit, but I don't have it anymore. I've been delivered by the power of God. And there's a higher law that's working in my life. It is the law of the spirit of life. And he says, hope, hope comes to us in the spirit and hope puts it there, puts an expectation. The Bible says hope, hope, we're saved by hope. There is this sense, but I know that I can. I believe that I can get out of this. I still believe there is a way past this, but I don't know how to pray the prayers to get there. And that's why the Spirit intercedes for us. For so long, I just flowed in the Spirit and didn't really know what I was saying, what I was doing. The majority of the time, it was just me yielding to the Holy Spirit and just enjoying being in the flow, really. And then I started reading in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says, He that prays in an unknown tongue, pray that he can interpret and I knew that that was for the church, but it also meant for the individual. I, because Paul said, I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So he's saying, there's a point that you can get to where God starts filling in the details. That while you're praying in the Spirit, he starts unlocking some of the mysteries of what you're speaking. Sometimes he uses other people. Sometimes he shows it to you directly. And sometimes he confirms it with irrefutable facts by speaking known languages. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke known languages. It still happens today. God still does that. Even though there's tongues of men and tongues of angels, there are still tongues of men that are being spoken. Let me give you an example. I've, I've spoken in known languages probably at least ten times where it was verified. People came and talked to me about it. I was praying for someone on the phone one time and was praying in Serbian. Didn't even know it. Uh, I've, I've prayed in uh, Italian. I've prayed in French. I've prayed in Spanish m- multiple times. And it's, it's been amazing. But the, one of the rec- most recent times it happened, I prayed in Aramaic. And uh, this was so unusual. I was in Kansas City and there was a lady that came up for prayer at the end of the service. And everyone was already off the instruments. They were going home. There were three ladies that were sitting in the back kind of talking. I found out later that they all had married uh, Middle Eastern men. And so because they had married men from the Middle East, they all knew Arabic and that they were friends. And this lady came up for prayer, and they just happened to be in earshot because there was no more music playing. And, I, you know, I've got this thunderous voice anyway. <laughs> My mom always said I couldn't whisper, but anyway. So... And you hand me a pen. So, I was supposed to keep you awake. Okay. So, this lady comes up and stands. She comes up and stands and says, I need you to pray for this. So, I, I said, okay, what's going on? I, I ask a few questions. And then I lay hands on her and I start praying. Well, I went from, from, from English to tongues just that fast. And uh, I just, just uh, I, I didn't even know where, it's just that fast. The Spirit led me to do that. And I, and I, 
I, I did it, and I prayed a little bit more in English, and I said, okay, God bless you, and uh, sent her away, and she said, okay, and she smiled and uh, felt better, and okay, well, thank you, Lord, and as I'm about to walk away, they say, excuse me, we need to talk to you, I said, yes, I said, sure, what, what's going on, what can I do, can I pray for you, they said, no, 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 when you prayed for that lady, they said, you were speaking Arabic, and just that fast, the Spirit said Aramaic, I said, no, it was Aramaic, I'm correcting them, you know, why am I correcting them, they're the ones that heard it, but it was just that fast, and I said, no, it was Aramaic. They said, it was Arabic. Says we have Middle Eastern husbands, we, we speak Arabic. We wrote it down. We wrote down the words, and we're translating the words right now, what you said, and we're, we're, we're coming up with a meaning for you. And I said, okay. I get in the car with the pastor. They text the pastor in the car. Tell Brother Cisco it wasn't Arabic. It was Aramaic. They said we, there was a few words we wrote down that we didn't understand. We were checking our Arabic dictionaries. When we went, we realized Aramaic is very close to Arabic, but it's not the same. And the reason why we didn't understand those words were because those words were spoken in Aramaic. And so here's the translation of what you said to that lady. And in essence, what I said was, Hello, God. Here's my friend, and I name her name. She has three problems. Number one, number two, number three. I named the problem. Number one, problem. Number two, problem. Number three, problem. I said, would you take care of this for her? Thank you. That's what the translation was. When I thought I was just speaking in tongues, God said, here's the first problem. Here's the second problem. Here's the third problem. I'll take care of it. It's done. I just thought I'm yielding to the Holy Ghost. God said, I'm fixing it. I'm taking care of what's wrong right now. He knows the things you have need of before you ask. And even when you don't know how to ask, He puts His Spirit on the inside of you that if you will yield to the Spirit, it will intercede for you and things in you will get fixed that you don't even know He's fixing. Now you understand that this is the kind of stuff that's happening every time you pray. Every time we come together. That's why the Bible says, the earth says, I wish all these people that had the Holy Ghost would act like they have the Holy Ghost. I wish all these people that are filled with the Spirit of God would come to maturity where they can manifest what they have on the inside of them. My dad one time laid hands on a baby and began to speak in tongues. And a lady standing by could speak Spanish and said, Brother Cisco, do you know what you just said? He said, no, I have no idea. He said, in fluent Spanish, you just said, I cursed that cancer at the root and I command it to dry up. Hallelujah. When you speak in the Spirit, God is fixing stuff. He's healing stuff. And I believe that if we would allow the Holy Ghost to work in our lives the way He wants to work in our lives, we would come to a clear understanding that He which searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And that's why Romans 8.28 says, And we know. That all things work together for the good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. This scriptural text, when you break it down, literally means everything in the universe is working together to make the will of God come to pass. Would you stand with me right now? We know all things work together. All things, broken down in the Greek, means everything in the universe. <laughs> when you are subjected to the elements of this world, your flesh says, everything in the world is working for my demise. Everything around me is constantly against me. I constantly feel like I get out of one thing and the next thing comes. I get past this sickness and then there's another sickness. I come through this temptation, this failure, I have another one. Everything in the world. But the Bible says, when you get in the Spirit and you function by the law of the Spirit of life, something else happens. 
a higher law kicks in, which delivers you from the law of sin and death and puts something else in motion. And the Bible says, we know all things. They're not working together for evil. They're working together for good. They're working together to bring the purpose of God in your life. If the creation has void in it or vanity in it now and it's subjected to the redemption process then as the man is healed and fixed the earth is healed and fixed. That's what the scripture says in essence. That's why after the tribulation period there's a new heaven and a new earth God's going to set everything right. Man is going to be is going to be redeemed and man is going to be judged. Everything will be set aright. But God is using the example here for us. That there are parts of the earth right now that are barren, that were not designed to be barren. Do you realize the Sahara Desert right now used to be a lush tropical forest? Some of the most some of the richest ground in the earth is where the Sahara is right now. It's desert. Desert. Used to be full of, uh, of all kinds of vegetation and life. But it's a desert now. And what God says, what He said, this is how human beings have become. They used to be filled with potential and purpose and now they're deserts. But what happens when the Spirit starts working in our lives? He starts restoring all those barren places in us. And everything that doesn't have purpose, He starts activating again and filling in. I'm telling you, this is the place where we find meaning and where we find life and where we find purpose in the presence of God. Would you lift your hands right now to the Lord and would you pray? Father, we thank You for Your Spirit this morning. We thank You, God, for Your anointing. Glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you know every barren place in us. You know every part of our hearts, oh God, that still needs your life. You know every part of our life, oh God, every part of our human existence that still has void and chaos in it. We're asking you, Jesus, right now, Put the revelation and the understanding into our minds and into our hearts. Let your Spirit help our infirmities right now. In Jesus' name. If you need the Holy Spirit, this is the time to receive it. If you have the Holy Spirit and you, and you are ready to go to the next place in God, I invite you to step out in the Holy Ghost today. Lift your hands, lift your voice, and let the Holy Spirit begin to flow out of you as it fixes those empty places and fixes those things in us. Hallelujah. That have been made barren. Let's pray together right now. These altars are open. We're going to pray one more time. Father, we thank You, Jesus, for every person that's here today that's in need. We ask You, God, that Your Holy Ghost would reach out and touch us, Lord. Would you reach over and touch somebody next to you right now? Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we're praying in the Holy Ghost today.